Forgiving student debt isn't giving a gift, it's righting a wrong. Representative Ilhan Omar, a Democrat of Minnesota, along with 55 colleagues, just sent a letter to Education Secretary Miguel Cardona requesting both details and rapid action on President Biden's campaign promise to forgive student debt in America. When you search on the phrase student debt forgiveness, one of the top hits that comes up is a Fox News article by a woman who paid off her loans in full. There are millions of Americans like me, the author writes, for whom debt forgiveness is an infuriating slap in the face after years of hard work and sacrifice. Those used to be qualities we encouraged as an American culture, and if Biden gets his way, he'll be sending a very different message to the next generation, end quote. This is, to be charitable, BS. Forgiving student debt is not a slap at anybody. It's righting a moral wrong inflicted on millions of Americans by Ronald Reagan and his morbidly rich Republican buddies. Student debt is evil. It's a crime against our nation, hobbling opportunity and weakening our intellectual infrastructure. Any nation's single biggest asset is a well-educated populace, and student debt diminishes that. It hurts America. Student debt at the scale we have in America doesn't exist anywhere else in the rest of the developed world. It didn't exist here in America before the Reagan Revolution. It was created here in the 1980s intentionally, and we can intentionally end it here and join the rest of the world in again celebrating higher education. Forty years on from the Reagan Revolution, student debt has crippled two generations of young Americans. Over 44 million people carry the burden, totaling a $1.5 trillion drag on our economy that benefits nobody except the banks earning interest on the debt. But that doesn't begin to describe the damage done to America since Reagan, in his first year as governor, ended free tuition at the University of California and cut state aid to that college system by 20% across the board. After having destroyed low-income Californians' ability to get an education in the 1970s, he then took his anti-education program national as president in 1980. When asked why he'd taken a meat axe to higher education and was pricing college out of the range of most Americans, or out of the reach of most Americans, he said that college students were, quote, too liberal, and America, quote, should not subsidize intellectual curiosity. Four days before the Kent State Massacre of May 5, 1970, Governor Reagan called students protesting the Vietnam War across America brats, freaks, and cowardly fascists, adding, as the New York Times noted at the time, quote, if it takes a bloodbath, let's get it over with. No more appeasement. Before Reagan became president, states paid 65% of the cost of colleges and federal aid covered another 15 or so percent, leaving students to cover the remaining 20% with their tuition payments. That's how it works in many developed countries. In most Northern European countries, college is not only free, but the government pays students a stipend to cover books and rent. Here in America, though, the numbers are pretty much reversed from pre-1980, with students covering most of the costs, thus the need for student loans here in the USA. As soon as he became president, Reagan went after federal aid to students with fervor. David Fergus documented for the Washington Post how, as a result, student debt first became a widespread thing across the United States in the early 1980s. No federal, no federal program suffered deeper cuts than student aid. Spending on higher education was slashed by some 25% during the 
during 1980 and 1985. Students eligible for grant assistance freshman year had to take out student loans to cover their second year, end quote. It became a mantra for conservatives, particularly in Reagan's cabinet. Let the kids pay for their own damn liberal educations. Reagan's director of office and management and budget, David Stockman, told a reporter in 1981, quote, I don't accept the notion that the federal government has an obligation to fund generous grants to anybody that wants to go to college. It seems to me that if people want to go to college bad enough, then there is an opportunity and responsibility on their part to finance their way through the best way they can. I would suggest that we could probably cut it a lot more, end quote. After all, cutting taxes for the rich was Reagan's first and main priority, a position the GOP holds to this day. Cutting education could, quote, reduce the cost of government. His first education secretary, Terrell Bell, wrote in his memoir, quote, Stockman and all the true believers identified all the drag and drain on the economy with the tax eaters, people on welfare, those drawing unemployment insurance, students on loans and grants, the elderly bleeding the public purse with Medicare, the poor exploiting Medicaid, end quote. Reagan's next education secretary, William Bennett, was even more blunt about how America should deal with the problem of uneducated people who can't afford college, particularly if they were African-American. Quote, I do know that it's true that if you wanted to reduce crime, Bennett said, you could, if that were your sole purpose, you could abort every black baby in this country and your crime rate would go down, end quote. His various perspectives became an article of faith across the Republican Party. Reagan's OMB director, David Stockman, told Congress that students were tax eaters and a drain and drag on the American economy. Student aid, he said, isn't a proper obligation of the taxpayer. This is where, when, and how today's student debt crisis was kicked off in 1981. Before Reagan, though, America had a different perspective. Both my father and my wife Louise's father served in the military during World War II and both went to college on the GI Bill. My dad dropped out after two years and went to work in a steel plant because mom got pregnant with me. Louise's dad, who'd grown up dirt poor, went all the way for his law degree and ended up as an assistant attorney general for the state of Michigan. They were two among almost eight million young men and women who not only got free tuition from the 1944 GI Bill, but also received a stipend to pay for room, board, and books. And the result, the return on our government's investment in those eight million educations, was substantial. The best book on that time and subject is Edward Hume's Over Here, How the GI Bill Transformed the American Dream, summarized by Mary Paulson for the Columbia Daily Tribune. Quote, that groundbreaking legislation gave our nation 14 Nobel Prize winners, three Supreme Court justices, three presidents, 12 senators, 24 Pulitzer Prize winners, 238,000 teachers, 91,000 scientists, 67,000 doctors, 450,000 engineers, 240,000 accountants, 17,000 journalists, 22,000 dentists, and millions of lawyers, nurses, artists, actors, writers, pilots, and entrepreneurs, end quote. When people have an education, they not only raise the competence and vitality of a nation, they also earn more money, which stimulates the economy. Because they earn more, they pay more in taxes, which helps pay back the government for the cost of that education. In 1952 dollars, the GI Bill's educational benefit cost the nation $7 billion. The increased economic output over the next 40 years that could be traced directly to that educational cost was $35.6 billion, and the extra taxes received from those higher wage earners was $12.8 billion. 
In other words, the U.S. government invested $7 billion and got a $48.4 billion return on that investment, about a $7 return for every $1 invested. In addition, that educated workforce made it possible for America to lead the world in innovation, R&D, and new business development for three generations. We invented the transistor, the integrated circuit, the Internet, new generations of miracle drugs, sent men to the moon, and reshaped science. Presidents Thomas Jefferson and Abraham Lincoln knew this simple concept that was so hard for Reagan and generations of Republicans since to understand. When you invest in your young people, you're investing in your nation. Jefferson founded the University of Virginia as a 100% tuition-free school. It was one of his three proudest achievements, ranking higher on the epitaph he wrote for his own tombstone than his having been both president and vice president. Lincoln was equally proud of the free and low-tuition low colleges he started. As the state of North Dakota notes, quote, Lincoln signed the Morrill Act on July 2, 1862, giving each state a minimum of 9,000 acres of land to sell to establish colleges of engineering, agriculture, and military science. Proceeds from the sale of those lands were to be invested in a perpetual endowment fund, which would provide support for colleges of agriculture and mechanical arts in each of the states. End quote. Fully 76 free and or very low tuition state colleges were started because of Lincoln's effort and since and since have educated millions of Americans, including my mom, who graduated from land grant Michigan State University in the 1940s, having easily paid her minimal tuition working as a summer lifeguard in Charlevoix. Every other developed country in the world knows this, too. Student debt is a rare or even non-existent thing in most Western democracies. Not only is college free or close to free around much of the world, many countries even offer a stipend for monthly expenses like our GI Bill did, did back in the day. Thousands of American students are currently studying in Germany at the moment, for example, for free. Hundreds of thousands of American students are getting free college educations right now in Iceland, Denmark, Norway, Finland, Sweden, Slovenia, and the Czech Republics, among, other, uh, among others. Republican policies of starving education and cranking up student debt have made U.S. banks a lot of money, but they've cut America's scientific leadership in the world and stopped two generations of young people from starting businesses, having families, and buying homes. The damage to working class and poor Americans, both economic and human, is devastating. It's a double challenge for minorities. There's a lot of talk about President Biden slightly reducing America's student debt burden. As CNBC reported when Joe Biden declared the winner, was declared the winner of the presidency in, 19, in November 2020, quote, On the campaign trail, Biden said he would forgive $10,000 of the debt for all borrowers and the rest of those, for those who attended public colleges or historically back, black colleges and universities and earned less than $125,000. We need to go way beyond that. Just like for-profit health insurance, student loans are a malignancy attached to our republic by Republicans trying to increase profits for their donors while extracting more and more cash from working-class people. Congress should not only zero out existing student debt across our nation, but revive the post-war government support for education that Reagan and successive Republican administrations cut. Then, and only then, can the true Making America Great Again begin.